You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm the Middle, one by one, in chronological order. And today we are talking about Clip Show, which originally aired April 28th, 2002, was directed by Jamie Babbitt, written by Michael Borco and Alex Reed. Hi, I'm Jake, and I'm the favorite. And I'm David, and you better be cured when I get back. Before we get into this week's episode, we do have our community segment. We've got some poll results to look at. Nice. Looking back on Dewey's dog with some results that are going to upset you. No. No. (laughs) For shittiest kid, we both chose Malcolm for trying to maximize everyone's discomfort for his own amusement, for, you know, trying not only to ruin Dewey having his dog for Dewey, but also actively trying to ruin Hal and Lois's perpetually ruined anyway date nights. And the internet did not agree with us. Really? Yes, uh, even with, we got a uh, vote via email for Malcolm, but even with that, overwhelmingly, the audience chose Dewey as the shittiest kid of the episode. What? Malcolm coming in second with two votes. They watched the wrong episode. Well, th- there there are some uh, ramifications that come later due to Dewey's actions in that episode. No, I, it's so, no, that's dumb. Look, first of all, <laughs> stop. All right. Dewey was an angel and he saved that poor dog. And also he was a good boy. And you just, mm, this is some real Josh from Des Moines raising an army type behavior here. I mean, I feel fairly neutral on this one. I, I, you know, obviously I agree that Malcolm was the shittiest kid of the episode with you, but uh, definitely much less on the Dewey's a perfect angel train for that episode. Well, it's okay to be wrong. Speaking of who we think the perfect angel of the episode is, you did in fact choose Dewey as your least shitty kid, and unsurprisingly, given the other results, the internet did not agree with you. They overwhelmingly agreed with my choice of Francis as least shitty kid of the episode. The internet's wrong, Jake. As always, this is why Wikipedia is not a valuable source. It is a valuable source. No, it's, it's not, not a scholarly source. It's, it's also it's not different. valuable. No. No, no, it is. Well, yes, it is different, but also it's not a valuable source. No, it is. I disagree. It frequently uh, can link you to actual sources. Which makes it valuable. You just have to know how to use it, David. You have to basically use Wikipedia like one giant set of footnotes, because that's what Wikipedia really is. That's true. I was just making a joke, but way to to make it serious. Now I feel like I need to go write a paper. I already have enough stuff to work on, Jake. Leave me alone. Oh, did did I forget to mention the new podcast segment, David's Essay Corner? (laughs) I assign you a different topic to write a uh, 20-page essay on every week. 20-page? Bro. Yeah. No, I'm not going for my master's. No. Master's? 20 pages of bachelor stuff, David. Come on. Not even close. Oh, yeah. In literally none of the programs that I have ever been in. I have Uh, never had to write anything over 15 pages, ever. Welcome to the humanities, David. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fuck that. (laughs) Fuck fuck that. (laughs) 
I studied practical stuff with hands-on elements, Jake. Uh, actually, most of, like, the, like, super long papers I had to write were for classes that had, like, the hands-on element. Really? Yeah, yeah, because it was usually, like, all hands-on stuff and then just, like, one giant paper is, like, the only essay. Oh, yeah, well, if it was, like, one, but, like, I, like, I, yeah, I never had a class where, like, even, like, the, like, the long essays was it was never just one it, like I, longest thing I've ever had to write was like fifteen pages, but it was like one ten page paper, one five page paper here, and then like the midterm was like a ten page paper, and then we had to do like the fifteen page like final right so like all throughout the semester, I think it was like a total of like probably like forty pages forty five pages yeah, gotcha, pretty much the same, just uh more condensed is sort of. It depends on the type of class. Gotcha. Yeah. No, most of my hands-on stuff, like, we either did, like, tests and quizzes, or, like, we had to be able to, like, replicate what the instructor did, so... <laughs> ah. See, see, with, with you know, hands-on history stuff, you're not replicating what the uh, instructor did, because you're, you're like, you're, you're just doing the thing. Right, yeah. <laughs> that, no, that... It makes sense with history. Uh, they, they can't have you mummify somebody, yeah. Well, I mean, we, we did that, but that that's just for fun. <laughs> That's just what you do to the underclassmen in the class. Oh my god. <laughs> uh. Well, uh, let, let's let's get into this uh, quote unquote episode. Right now, now that we've triggered all the college kids in our audience, I don't care what they say. Even if you're 60 and going back to school, you're now a college kid again. That's officially your title. You are always a college kid if you are going to college. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've told my mom this when she was in college. After I graduated from college. Perfect. Uh, I also <laughs> tell my mom that, as she is now also going back to school. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll start with the cold open, which is also the closest thing to an F plot for this episode. <laughs> right. Is it? Is Francis at his house, cleaning out the sink. He, like, has his hand deep down in the drain. He is, like, really trying to get in there. And as he is, his uh, butt is, is, like, getting closer and closer to the switch for the garbage disposal. Raising tension until finally he flips it and it goes off. But it's in the other drain. And Francis, you know, seeing this, he pulls his hand out and he sort of looks at what ha what's happened. And he turns it off and he immediately starts doing the same thing in the drain that does have the garbage disposal. Yep. Uh, leaning back towards the switch, too. Yep. He did not learn. He did not. Well, he, he, didn't, he didn't lose any fingers. How would he learn? Yeah. This is also very relatable because it's the first thing I did when I got home today, <laughs> like from work, is I had to work on our sink and discover that we need a new garbage disposal. Uh-huh. So, uh, hey guys, PayPal's in our description. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, oh my god, yeah. So, the minute I we started this episode and Francis stuck his hand in the sink, I went, no, oh man, I just got <laughs> done doing that. <laughs> But the, the real question is, who puts the garbage disposal switch there? So I have seen it in, like, some apartments I've been in that had garbage disposals because they didn't have, like, space and or, like, have an area in the wall because they installed it, like, afterwards. So they didn't want to wire it in through the wall. But other than that... It seems like a horrible plan. Yeah. Usually they're more, like, recessed or they're, like, turned the other way to where they're, like, pointing down. You have to reach, like, under the sink and flip it, you know, left and right, not, not fucking just sat right there where you could hit it randomly yeah, yeah it seems like a fairly important switch to have like uh, out of the way yeah getting into the episode proper we will just sort of be covering the framing device we won't be going into the individual clips that they show throughout uh, but as such there, there will just be a single plot line yeah because for those of you who don't understand what a clip show is 
This is a clip show. It's a show with clips. It's a clever naming device. See, we just called the thing what it is. <laughs> yes, very, very clever. Now, I kind of... This is the first episode of Malcolm in the Middle in three seasons that has made me go... Like, there's been some... Well, there's been convention where I was like, Ugh. But this is the first one where I'm just like, oh, man... Yeah. I hate when sitcoms do this unless they do it in like a funny or relevant way. And they they tried to, but didn't quite achieve it. Yeah, it's it's fine as far as clip shows go, but it's it, it is still just like a, a pretty standard clip show. Yeah. They didn't, you know, pull a uh, always sunny where their their clip show episode is a you know secretly not really a clip show episode. Right? I like that. <laughs> I like you know, even the way like as as much as it's so cliche, like the way House did it, where they did their clip show, but it's like a, a you know he's in a coma and all that, and going back through it, and like even something like that, where there's like some story device that like makes it make sense or tie into the actual story that's going on, I find more bearable than this. Like if we hadn't had the scene at the end, which I know we'll get into with Hal and the therapist. I think I would have loved this if that had been replaced with something where, like, the boys continued their process of, you know, like, self-discovery and, and realization, and then they just ended it there. Like, this would have been an amazing clip show, but instead it just makes it feel like it's self-contained, and I hate that. Yeah, yeah, fair. It, it uh, starts with Hal bringing the boys in to a psychiatrist's office with the... Psychiatrist played by Andy Richter, who, who has an actual name in the show, but in my, all of my notes, he is just labeled as Andy Richter. See, I labeled him as therapist, and that's it. <laughs> Fair enough. But Hal is talking about how they, they need professional help, and uh, the boys sort of are arguing with him, saying that they don't. And then they get, you know, a little bit more individualized with it, with Reese saying he's not the one who's afraid of sharks in the shower. Like, Dewey is. That, look, being afraid of sharks, especially, Jake, the 90s had just ended, street sharks is still a thing. I get it. I get it. Yeah, but sharks aren't scary. Sharks are scary. Dewey's smartest kid. But Malcolm flips it on Reese and says, well, at least he doesn't sleepwalk and pee on the TV. <laughs> Hal authorizes this uh, psychiatrist to take any steps that he needs to. To make sure that the boys are cured, he, he gives him a free reign, and he reveals that the reason, you know, the, the straw that broke the camel's back is that they took the car for a joyride and crashed it and did a bunch of damage. $700 worth of damage, to be exact. Yeah, and I mean, that, that's probably like half the value of their car. Probably. It's not a very good car. It is not. But the boys immediately deny taking the car. They say that they didn't do it, which, of course, Hal doesn't believe, and he leaves them with uh, the psychiatrist. And they uh, start their session with some, like, pretty standard, you know, him setting the ground rules. They know this is a safe place for them to talk about their feelings, and that means no making fun of each other, and they actually have to listen, and that sort of stuff. And uh, Malcolm immediately insists that, you know, that there's no need for him to even analyze them. He's not going to find anything. They're a completely normal family, uh, as will be the case for most of these sorts of statements. That It's immediately followed by, you know, contradicting clips. Then when we come out of that, he asks the boys to describe their parents, which they 
Uh, just describe Lois as, well, mom is mom. And they similarly uh, can't describe how. And then he asks about Francis, and they all immediately take Francis's side and talk about how Lois and Hal never gave him a chance, and the only reason they sent him away was because he was the first child, and they you know, blame him for everything that changed in their lives when they had kids, and he didn't do anything. Yeah, he's totally innocent. Yeah, obviously. And then when, when uh, they, they come out of that, uh, the psychiatrist is sort of talking to them about, you know, uh, they clearly have a lot of issues. You know, do, do they ever talk to their parents about these things? And Reese says that he, he put a bunch of paper in the blender and set it on fire the other week. That was clearly a cry for help. I mean, he's not wrong, though. True. <laughs> but uh, the psychiatrist points out, as we have pointed out many times on this show, you know, the, have, have you tried, uh, you know, talking, sitting down and talking with words about all of these issues? It seems like you could resolve a lot of these problems that way. Yeah, but that would make sense. <laughs> yes. Right, if, if nothing else, this episode, you know, supports that uh, th th these kids probably should be in some sort of therapy. <laughs> oh, 100%. Then the, the boys start, you know, ta talking about various different things that they've done to each other. Specifically, Reese and Malcolm are, like, going back and forth, bringing up, you know, stuff that they've done to each other. With it ended with, with uh, Reese saying that, oh yeah, well, I was the one who spit in Dewey's breakfast this morning. Right? <laughs> so gross. Which, of course, immediately upsets Dewey. <laughs> Says, I, I ate out of that bowl. I licked that bowl. And then they all start physically fighting, beginning with Dewey, uh, like, just straight up sucker punching Reese, which is great. It's so good. Which, of course, turns into an all-out brawl between all three of them, with Andy Richter having to, like, physically separate them. Then, when, when we come back, they are all, like, sitting with, with their hands on their heads while he gives, like, a, a little speech uh, about how, how he used to work in prisons, and he had a 17-year-old serial killer crying, uh, hugging his leg, uh, crying like a girl. He, he can deal with these kids. He went to Harvard. That's right. They they aren't Cracker Jack diplomas on the wall. Uh, when they say, please, this is nothing. Lois makes us do this in the rain. He uh, lets them sit back down on the couch and relax again, and he changes course, and he asks each of the boys to describe how they see themselves, and Reese says he sees himself as the bad boy. He says, no, there, there's one in every family, you know, the guy that everyone hates who makes it so you don't even want to come home because you know that he'll be there. And he says, it's an exhausting job, but it's fulfilling. Yeah. Then Dewey describes himself as the favorite, uh, and he says, you know, he's the cute one that everyone loves. And everyone, you know, is always giving him presents, and everyone's always nice to him, and they even make the bird scene and the clouds spell out its name. And this is a totally factual statement. I see no problems here. <laughs> yes, yes there's, there's no delusions there. Yeah, none at all. And then Malcolm just says he's the middle one, and when he sort of presses, you know, for a more substantial answer... He says that he doesn't feel like he fits in with the family at all. He feels like aliens just dropped him off with his family. And when he says this, uh, immediately 
Dewey and Reese uh, sort of, like, jump to defend him. Uh, Reese says that, you know, he's the one who fixes things, and Dewey says that a lot of times he's the one who solves the problems. And Andy Richter immediately says, you know, this, this is a pretty common thing for a kid like Malcolm to become the ringleader because they're bored and the people around them aren't intellectually challenging them. And he starts, you know, talking about all the different sort of gifted programs that they have for kids like Malcolm. Uh, the, the boys sort of all jump to the conclusion that he's trying to, like, send Malcolm away. Uh, sort of in the same way that Francis was sent away. And Malcolm says, you can't do this to me. And Dewey says, you can't leave me alone with Reese. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's yes. a fair concern. It is. Uh, they sort of blow up at him. Then he... Tells them that they're out of time, uh, and they'll deal with this stuff next time, and when he, like, opens the door, Hal is sitting there, like, very clearly having, like, pressed his ear against the door, trying to listen in, and he tells Hal that, you know, he wants to meet with him and Lois to discuss some stuff, and, you know, he's uh, very clearly interested, like, a... Having some ongoing therapy for the boys, and, and Hal is like, you know, very into it, and you know, he, he's sending the boys to go wait in the car while he talks to him. But as the boys are like starting to leave the office, they hear a loud crashing sound, and they all run over to the window and see that Hal's car has, you know, rolled off on its own. Uh, apparently, the parking brake has gone out, and the Boys, you know, immediately say, see, th this is what happened last time, too, but you didn't believe us. And Hal is amazed that they were telling the truth about something, and he, like, for some reason, like, attributes this to the, you know, psychologist. Yeah, it says, you know, he did a great job, and in only an hour, and he's gonna uh, give him a little something extra on the payment. And you know, he's happy that they're, uh, you know, uh, that they feel like a family again, and they're not gonna need any more therapy. And, and like, the, the, the entire time, Andy Rector is, like, very clearly, like, you know, trying to, like, let Hal know, like, no, there's a lot of deep-seated issues here that need to be addressed. <laughs> Yeah, we really should talk. <laughs> but Hal ignores all of that, and he uh, takes the boys away, saying they're gonna get some ice cream on the way home to celebrate. And that is it for the episode. Yep, and that's how every therapy session ends, everyone, okay? Is you get some person who acts like your dad who shows up and buys you ice cream. So everybody, go out, cont contact a therapist, and get some help. And if a therapist isn't available, just find Andy Richter and tell him your problems. That's right. I mean, it's basically the same thing, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, what does it really take to be a therapist, Jake? Like, some tweeds, some elbow pads, a, sh a couch, an office. I got it. Yeah. We're there. Yeah, that's, that's all it is. Yeah. And then yeah. all you have to do is just say, how does that make you feel? And, you, and, and then, you know, you cross all of your personal boundaries with, with the mob boss that you're, you know, uh, seeing... Uh, that's how it works. Wait, what? We're making very different references, because I'm mocking real life, and you're making a pop culture reference. No, I, I went over to a Sopranos reference. Okay, all right. <laughs> I haven't seen Sopranos, Jake. I can't make those references. Uh, neither have I, David, but, but, but I know the uh, whole, like, deal is, is it's like Tony Soprano starts going to see a therapist, and they, they cross each other, they're like, professional boundaries. It's, yeah. Oh. The big thing of the show. Okay. Huh. Well, with that, let's go to our awards. 
awards. And we will start with our Roller Skating Keen Award, our award for the best visual moment. What did you have for this one, David? I had the, after you come back and uh, Richter has separated them physically, and he has them sitting on the floor with their arms behind their head, elbows out and up, <laughs> just sitting there while he talks. I found that hilarious. And also, such a such a thing. Like, it, God, I remember, like, my parents didn't do it, but, like, I had friends who would do things. Like, their parents would make them, like, lie on their back and hold all of their, like, limbs. They called it, like, the dead cockroach, where all their limbs and head had to be, like, off the floor and, like up in the air and they'd make them do shit like that while they lectured them for punishment and i ah. always remember being like maybe getting beat with the belt isn't so bad like this just seems dumb <laughs> like i either got hit or i got a lecture i never got both yeah I, I never experienced it but apparently my dad like tried that one time but it like devolved into him and my brothers and sisters just like laughing at, at the situation and it, that and it seems just fell that apart. seems fair. Yeah, and to be fair, that's how a lot of punishments with my dad went. Yeah, I could. I was gonna say I immediately could see your family just turning this into a game. Yeah, that's essentially what happened. Yeah, <laughs> from what I understand. See, he had them like standing like on their tippy toes, like you know, nose against the wall, while he like you know was telling them why what they did was wrong. But then it like turned into like a you know a game of like. See, seeing who could do it the longest, and yeah. Yeah, see, that. fortunately my siblings were pretty, like, far away from me. I mean, you know, the youngest sister's the closest, and she's six years younger than me, so, like, I don't know, they didn't really have to get creative for discipline. They just were like, look, I'm going to spank you with the belt, or I'm going to lecture you. And then when I got big enough that, like, my dad couldn't spank me hard enough to, like, do anything... Then they just started taking shit away from me. Yeah, pr pretty much just grounding's the only thing I ever experienced. Only, like, once. Oh, yeah, they took my shit away from me a lot. But, like, dude, I was 13 and I was... Well, I mean, you know, but, like, I was 6 foot, 200 pounds at 13. And uh, I was a good, good kid, so I didn't get punished. Oh, you didn't get caught. There's a difference. Yeah, I was a good kid. I hate you. The uh, amount of times I would get lumped in with your older brother and you wouldn't infuriated me. Because it was usually you who convinced me that it would be fine. Well, because it was fine for me. I hate you so much. <laughs> oh, Willie and I do this all the time. Proceeds to get screamed at with Willie. It's not my fault you guys weren't as sneaky as me. I was... Like, twice your size, if not more. Of course I wasn't as sneaky as you. <laughs> you know, that's that's your problem. I hate you. I, I was a good kid. No. No, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, I, for, for my roller skating keynote, I actually had the scene before that. I had the fight scene between the boys. That's fair. That sucker punch is great. Yeah, the sucker punch was great, and then I did enjoy uh, Andy Richter, like, having to physically separate them, especially the ending of it, where he has to just, like, <laughs> lift Reese off of Malcolm while Reese is screaming, what was just fantastic. It was pretty great. I almost went with that, but then the, the arm punishment was just so great. And what did you have for your hot dog with mustard on it award? Your award for the best lie. This is the scene where uh, Reese is talking about spitting in the milk and Dewey's response, I drank that milk. I licked that bowl. It was just so funny. 
Yeah, I, I will say, to this episode's credit, for being, like, you know, only, like, half an actual episode, there are actually a lot of good lines. There are. It's it's pretty funny. Like, I, I do have to say, like, it's it's Malcolm in the Middle, and, and these writers know what the hell they're doing, so even though this is a clip show and it does some of the things that I absolutely hate in TV, I still laughed a lot, so... Yeah, it's it's not a bad clip show. It's just not one of the few that, like, manages to actually be good, is how I would yeah. describe it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but for, for my Hot Dog with Mustard on it award, I went with, You seem like a really bright kid. Would you like to spend the rest of the hour telling me how bright you are? Oh, bro. Oh. <laughs> so good. Yes. <laughs> Savaged. <laughs> so good. <laughs> And I feel I feel like season three has really been the episode of calling Malcolm out on his shit. It's been happening a lot. <laughs> it has, and it needs to, so I'm okay with it. Uh, moving on to our next award, what did you give your OK Boomer Award, your award for the moment that sets the episode firmly within its time of release? So mine is a little different. Okay. But uh, having to set the parking brake... And now I realize modern vehicles still come with the parking brake. But I haven't seen, been in, or owned a vehicle that required the parking brake and didn't have, like, actual, you know, ability to be parked on a hill without rolling since the early 2000s. But seeing stuff like that and parking on hills like that always makes me a little queasy because my family did have... In the 2000s, the early 2000s specifically, a van that could not be parked on non-flat surfaces without the, the parking. And I don't mean like like a, a steep hill. I mean couldn't be parked on non-flat surfaces without the parking brake because it would roll. Right. And I have not seen a vehicle like that since. Uh, so while it's it's not the best example, it was the most personal example of, like, throwback to 2002 for me. Because <laughs> I remember having to chase after that van one time when the parking brake was forgotten. <laughs> Fortunately, there weren't any damages, and there was a lot of space so we could catch it. But, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean... Having only ever owned one car that was made in the 90s in my life, you, it blew my mind a little bit right now when you were like, you, you don't have to do that anymore. Oh, yeah. No, like, I can park my truck on a, I can park my truck on an embankment and, and it won't move. I, like, there's a parking brake for if it's, like, steep or if there's, like, weight on it or anything like that just to, like, double make sure. But, yeah, no, it won't move. I have never parked a car and not engaged the, the like parking brake <laughs> like ever Dude. in my life <laughs> I, I think i think i've put the parking brake on my truck once wild stuff <laughs> and i don't think i put the parking brake on any of the three vehicles i owned before that ever i think the last vehicle i put a parking brake on before my truck was that van when when we were kids huh well like a 90s ford ranger that, that i owned like if there was, like, any incline at all, like, you you could just, like, see it. If it wasn't, you could, like, see it just, like, very slowly moving. Oh, I take that back. I take that back. Yeah, I have to, I had to put it on my Ranger, and it would it would roll. But, but yeah, that was, that was the last vehicle that I had to. Because, like, none of the cars that I own and my truck, none of those. The Jeep, none of those. Hell, the parking brake didn't work on my Jeep. That doesn't <laughs> surprise me. <laughs> Look, that Jeep was trash, but, dude, I had 300,000 miles on it when I bought it. 
And then I put another like eighty five thousand on it before it went out. So fair. Well, I gave my OK Boomer award to the structure of the episode itself to the clip show. Fair. Because I, I was trying to think of what the last like actual clip show I saw in a show was, and like the the most recent show that I can think of that had one was Legend of Korra. Fair. Like, uh, other than that, the only example I could think of was that uh, Always Sunny episode that only, like, the, the first few minutes are an actual clip show that, like, immediately turns into, like, one of the most high-concept, bizarre, fucking, <laughs> like, meta-textual episodes of a sitcom ever made. Yeah. Because, yeah, in modern shows, you generally end up with this sort of, like, we're doing a clip show, but we're we're trying to, like, not do a clip show. And so it makes it something else. Uh, the old school clip show style thing kind of went out of the way around around this time. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a while since I've seen like e- even like a pseudo clip show, like anything with like any clips at all. It's been a long time. I guess I'll, well, I guess I guess anime still does it. Well, I don't <laughs> anime. Yeah, there. Yeah, I, I wasn't thinking about that. That's a whole other ballpark. <laughs> yeah, live action shows though. I think the. Newest one I've seen that does, like, a full clip show. Like, there's been, like, shows that use flashbacks and stuff still. But, like, right. a full-on clip show like this, I think House might be the most modern one that I've seen that has done it. And, like I said, they were trying to, like, purposely make it something else. Right. Uh, moving on to our next award. Who did you have as your favorite character? I gave it to the, the, the psychiatrist. Uh, as did I. I put Andy Richter as my favorite character. Oh, uh, that's funny. <laughs> he cracks me up. I, I think this was a great guest appearance. I, I love the way that he's talking to the boys and talking like they aren't going to break him. Clearly showing the signs of the cracking that's already happening. Yeah, it made me really wish like like they they'd just done this as like a normal like full episode. Oh God, yes, right. And it made it feel like a, a little bit of like a, a wasted uh you know guest appearance. A little bit, cause God, yeah, it, it was so good, and it just would have been so much fun to have him you know there as the boy's like actual therapist as like yeah. a reoccurring occasional character. Yeah, that could have been really good. It would have been, but this is the 2000s, Jake, and therapy is still a joke. True. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I do feel like this episode, like, avoided that, though. I I think it made it, like, fairly clear that, like, he was right that they needed this therapy. Oh, yeah, no, uh, if they hadn't handled it well, I'd have been bitching about it, but I I agree. They didn't make therapy a joke, but that that, that doesn't mean that therapy isn't a joke, and if they made this a recurring character, like, I feel like that's just automatically where they would have gone with it. Right. Just because of the time and the audience and everything else, so on one hand, I'm kind of glad they didn't make this a fully fleshed out character, but also it would be hilarious to see over and over. Yeah. Along those lines, I also gave my Cloris Leachman Award to Andy Richter, my award for the best acting. Same. Okay. And that just leaves our shittiest and least shitty kid awards. We don't have a whole lot to go off of for this episode, so I'm curious to see where we land. That is fair. Uh, who did you have as your least shitty kid? Dewey, obviously, because he's the favorite and he's the best. And they make the birds sing to him and the flowers and the bees and the trees. Dewey's the best. I also gave it to Dewey. 
good. Even though he sucker punched Reese. Reese deserved it. <laughs> Don't spit in people's food, people. That's gross. That That's fair. That is very gross. And, uh, well, uh, who did you have for shittiest kid? Was it Reese for Reese. spitting in Dewey's cereal? Yes! And setting a blender on fire? I was willing to give the blender thing a pass. And he, he also, like, relishes in his role as, like, the family bully? Yep. Fairly clear to me that Reese was a shittiest kid this episode. Yeah, no, no other option. I agree. Yeah. Well, that wraps up our awards, and we are not going to do our Cranston connection this week because we, we, we didn't feel like there was enough there to, you know, really ha- have a, uh, a solid thing to, you know, make canon. But we do have David's guessing game. You know, going to this episode, not knowing this is going to be like a... Fairly uh, thin pickings for, for what you could really guess. You, you did pretty well. You, you correctly predicted it as one of your, uh, like, multiple guesses of who, like, they might be talking to, that they would be talking to a, a psychologist, uh, among the other options that you listed. Though you did think that it was going to be a school-related thing, that you know, the boys would be, like, in trouble for something at school, and that would be what prompted it. I did, yes. Well, so but between that and you, you have to take, like, uh, you know, the, the, the multiple options to, to get the correct one, I gave you an 80%. All right. That's, uh, I feel like that's generous. And what do you think happens in next week's episode, Jury Duty? Well, Jake, I feel like I might already know. Yeah? Yes, because I feel like... I have been shown this episode for a class of mine in the past. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, you, you did tell me that. Mm-hmm. I believe that Lois is going to be selected for jury duty, and she's going to go in, and she is going to be the only person who is trying to get the jury to take their job seriously and actually, like, do their job and deliberate and actually consider the facts and give whoever is getting you know like shortchanged the actual opportunity to be in a fair trial because she demands that the other jurors you know like do their job and she's going to be the annoying one and other people aren't going to like her for it and like at first they're going to blow her off and like ignore her but then they're going to come around if i remember correctly okay uh, i will say it is a uh, possible you're thinking of the veronica mars jury episode because it goes exactly like that i don't think so if you were guessing for that episode david i can tell you right now that's like a hundred percent oh yeah yeah i think it was the veronica mars episode because i don't know what veronica mars looks like and i'm pretty sure it was lois because i mean uh jane kasmeric and uh kristen bell look the same right oh yeah totally especially especially in the early 2000s oh yeah totally yeah Yeah. no (laughs) okay with that let's wrap this episode up thank you for listening if you'd like to get in touch with us you can reach us by email where we are life is unfair pod at gmail.com or on twitter where we are unfair underscore podcast which is also where we put up our weekly shittiest and least shitty kid polls and if you enjoy the banter back and forth and want to join us live head on over to twitch.tv LP death rate where we play video games chat and in general just have a good time also don't forget join us November 6 for our 24-hour streaming event twitch.tv slash LP where we'll be raising money for the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals uh, it's a really great cause it's for the kids and we have a ton of fun so make sure you don't miss it come on out and help us raise some money I'm considering eating a candle for it oh god Jake <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> don't do that. Don't do that, dude. The wax will mess you up so bad. Yeah, but it's not technically poisonous, David. We learned this. True, it's not technically poisonous, but <laughs> oh, Jake, no, I don't do it. I, I at least need to, you know, take one big bite like Dewey did. No, look, it was funny when it was a joke. It's not funny now. Don't do it. <laughs> Yeah, I disagree. The more real it becomes, the funnier it is to me. Oh my god, I hate you so much. Dude, I need to, like, construct a, a waiver and a, like, legally binding waiver that the shit you do for charity is not my fault, and I can't be held legally liable for it. Uh, I, I don't know. You're the one who gave me the idea, David. You're the one who said I should do it. It was a joke. I've also <laughs> said you should jump off a cliff. You never do that. Well, yeah, but they haven't done that on Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, my God. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And as always, remember, life is unfair.